beneficial to the body. So with that in mind, um, let's, uh, let's go ahead and read our passage for today. It's John chapter 7, verses 40 through 52. It says this, When they heard these words, some of the peoples said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? The officer said, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of you, uh, excuse me, have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. That is the word of the Lord. Let us pray um, and ask for God to bless it and to allow us to receive what he has for us today. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word. It is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides soul and spirit, bone and marrow. Uh, it, it discerns and divides truth from falsehood and uh, the intents and motivations of our hearts. We are just thankful for the fact that we are able to read the words that you spoke through your people uh, and we are able to glean truth from them we are able to uh, profit from them as your word says that they are profitable for us to teach correct rebuke to train in righteousness righteousness so that we may be equipped um, for every good work and also be complete we just pray lord that as your word goes forth that i get out of the way that uh, you speak to your people, and that we leave here with a desire to worship you, uh, that we are edified, and we just know a little bit more about the truths of your word. We ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew ten thirty four says this, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. John 15, 18 says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Again, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 and 23, it says this, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, all those verses, as well as many others that Jesus spoke, can come across as harsh or hard sayings that Jesus said, uh, but they are no less comforting than the promises that are spoken in Scripture. The reason I say that is because we cannot divide the love of God from the justice of God or the wrath of God from the grace of God. God is who he is, and all that is in God is his essence. There is this doctrine called uh, the doctrine of divine simplicity. We've talked about it during uh, Wednesday night once before. Uh, essentially what this doctrine talks about, it says that God is simple in the sense that he is not made of parts. Um, 
and that none of his attributes contradict each other. We can't say, well, God is holy, but his holiness and his wrath or any of these different attributes that we see in Scripture contradict each other or that they form together to make who God is. They, they are God. God defines what all these different characteristics are in Scripture. They are completely equal, infinite, and eternal. We get an example of this in Galatians when we talk about the fruits of the Spirit, right? It's a, it's a singular fruit that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We can't have one without the other. You can't be loving but not patient. You can't be kind but not uh, gentle. They, 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 they are one and the same. So I bring this up because I, I think it's, it's easy for us when we think about God or we think about Jesus and when we evangelize and different things like that to pick and choose what we choose to present about who God is or who Jesus is. But Jesus, doesn't, Jesus didn't do that and Jesus didn't give us that option. Uh, as scripture tells us, he is to be high and lifted up. That's all of him, right? Who he is is to be high and lifted up. We don't get to choose the aspects of him that make us feel comfortable or the things that we want people to see about him and kind of shy away from the things that we don't. Jesus tells us in John 14 that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. So that tells us that there is no other way, there is no other truth, there is no other life, and coming to the Father any way but through the Son, you will not find him. This shows the exclusivity of Christ, right? This is, we see that he is exclusive when it comes to salvation. And biblically, we see an example of how Christ divides truth from falsehoods. So in our passage today, that's kind of what, what I want to focus on. This is what Jesus, as Jesus spoke of in our passage last week, we see the responses from the people in our passage this week. Uh, he causes some division and confusion and commotion amongst two different groups. The crowds that are going to be the first part of our discussion in verses 40 through 44. And then we also see some division caused amongst the officers and the religious leaders in verses 45 through 52. So we're going to look at those things, how poor discernment uh, influenced their, their understanding of who Jesus was. And then we're with the remainder of our time, my desire is to kind of uh, apply these things to a couple of areas in our lives that we could definitely use to help us in our daily walk. So that leads us to our sermon summary for today. It's kind of like one of those things, if you don't remember anything else, you know, remember this, um, that type of thing. But this is, this is my intent, the point to, that I hope to get across with our passage is biblical discernment divides truth from falsehood and allows us to see clearly. Biblical discernment divides truth from falsehood and allows us to see clearly. So we're going to start in verses 40 through 44. Let me go ahead and reread those, and we're going to talk about the division amongst the crowds and the thoughts, the poor discernment that was had by these uh, in the crowd. It says this, when they heard these words, some of the people said, this is really the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. So first, we're going to talk about those who thought of him as the prophet. Some called him the prophet. Now, this, the prophet, the, where, where they get this from is a prophecy that Moses gave in Deuteronomy 18, 15. Moses said this, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, 
from your brothers. It is, him, it is to him you shall listen. Now, what this is not saying is that you don't listen to any other prophets, but there would be a prophet that would come among them that, uh, well, let, let me back up a little bit. There was no other prophet uh, after Moses who had such an impact as Moses did. Moses was the one that God used to deliver the people out of Egypt, through the wilderness, and to the promised land. He wasn't able to enter, but he got them uh, there. So as far as the impact goes, all of, obviously all of the prophets played a major role in telling uh, God's story through time, but the impact that, Moses, that God used Moses through right, right in the first five books of the Bible uh, was huge. And so there was to be another prophet that would come that would serve uh, to deliver God's people ultimately from sin and death, from the oppression of sin and death. Now, since some believe that the prophet would be just a man called by God, uh, he would be the one that would speak on behalf of God to the people, but he would be the one that would be accompanying the Christ that would actually do the saving of the people. So there was this thought that was amongst the Hebrews at that time where there would be two people. There'd be the prophet and then there would be the Christ, these uh, like dual roles in serving and saving uh, the people. And so with this, uh, this mindset that was, that was there, this is kind of what was thought of uh, by these people. Now, the reason this is, we wouldn't consider these people believers in this time is simply due to the fact that Jesus has already pointed to the fact of who he is. We read back in verses uh, 37 through 39, and we see that's where we spoke last week, was that Jesus told the people, come to me, I'm the one that offers these living waters. Out of me flow living waters. Now, with what we see with that, there's no, there's no part of those words that would lead us to believe that he was anything other than God. God is the source of life. And so if he was only a prophet speaking this way, he would either be a false prophet or he would be the prophet and God in one. Uh, so understanding where these people were coming from, they had a surface level understanding. They had some biblical knowledge, but not enough to truly see Christ for who he, who he was. Therefore, their discernment uh, was poor. They were unable to properly divide truth from falsehood. Now, the other group, one of the other groups said that he was the Christ. So it sounds a little more promising hearing these people say that, that he was the Christ. Uh, this word Christ is another word for Messiah or the anointed one. There was many messianic prophecies that were given in the Old Testament about who the Messiah would be. In uh, Daniel 7, he's mentioned as the son of man. In Isaiah 53, he's called the suffering servant. Uh, and in Psalm 2, just to name a few of the places, he was called the begotten son. Now, this is another example of a people group not using proper discernment and understanding who Christ is um, and showing their lack of, of true heart change and showing true belief. We have no record here of them actually professing faith. I mean, they, they call him the Christ, but we see no, no results of that. They're just saying these things. Uh, typically, what we see when, whenever someone comes to salvation in Scripture, like we had in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well or those who were in Samaria, we, we hear a clear example of them laying aside their things and following Jesus. Uh, but we don't get that here. We get just people spouting off different things of what they believe. The other group uh, that's mentioned in this passage, they just outright deny that he was either the prophet or the Christ. Now, this is a group that we kind of talked about uh, last week uh, briefly was as far as them suppressing the truth and, and seeking to come up with their own version of who God was. 
And this shows a, a clear lack of biblical discernment as well. And it just manifested in them just trying to pick at straws and find anything that they could hold to to say, well, this can't be the Christ. And one of the things that we see that they said was, well, he's not he's from Galilee. He's he if he's to be the Christ, he's to be from the offspring of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was. So these people, they had some biblical knowledge to be able to pull from that and say, you know what? We know this is where the Christ comes from. And if Jesus is from Galilee, then he, he can't be the Christ, right? They, I, regardless of the miracles he's performed, the authority he speaks with, I mean, even though I see all this in front of me that's telling me that he is who he says he is, he's from, he's from Galilee, so it, it, he can't be the Christ. Now, while we know that this is, this is a poor understanding as well, is because Jesus was raised in Nazareth, which Nazareth, ugh, Nazareth is a part of Galilee. That's in the region of Galilee, excuse me. Um, but what we read in Luke 2, what we know about the, the history of Christ when he was born and, and, and all of that, in Luke 2, it tells us that he was born in Bethlehem, right? That, that's pulled from uh, Micah 5, verse 2, is where the prophecy that, of Jesus to be born in uh, Bethlehem comes from. But Jesus, through God's providence, through the works of man, uh, was forced, him and, or his parents, Joseph and Mary, were forced to go back to his hometown the hometown of Joseph, uh, Joseph, for a census. And as they traveled back to their hometown, Jesus was actually born in Bethlehem. And so had they known this about Jesus, they would have known that he actually fulfilled those things that they were trying to suppress and, and push off to say that they didn't really believe that this was the Christ. <clears throat> so when we see this kind of stuff, this 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 way of thinking, the, the way that they just, uh, these men did not searched the scriptures. They did not see with their own eyes what Jesus was doing right in front of them. They sought to come up with their own truth and come up with their own ideals, uh, draw their own conclusions outside of what was evident through Christ, through the witness that he uh, presented, and they came up with these false views of who he is. Now, when we think about that and we think about how we are to act today, what we are called to do is have a, a biblical worldview, to have proper discernment, to study the scriptures, and to understand uh, how we are to live in this world. And this is crucial for us. Uh, my wife and I, we have conversations all the time. Uh, I try to talk to others about this, and I have to self-examine myself when it, when it comes to this as well. But uh, one of the things that I think is crucial for the life of us as believers is to test everything that we do uh, and, and have a reason why we do it. Right. What, what is what is my motivation for preaching this morning? What is my motivation for serving or forgiving or uh, for whatever we do? What is my purpose for that? What and why do I believe what I believe? Uh, if I'm called into question and say, hey, why do you do this or that? I need to be able to give a reason for that. I need to be able to explain biblically. This is why I do what I'm doing. Now, these people here, what we see from them is they had a poor understanding of Scripture they had a poor understanding of what Jesus was, uh, was doing right in front of them, and it led to a false belief uh, of, to deny who Christ actually was. <clears throat> With that, I, I kind of think about a, a quote that I heard from Charles Spurgeon uh, concerning discernment, because discernment is a, a, is a crucial thing in the life of the believer. He said this, discernment is not knowing the difference between truth uh, or what's right and what's wrong is knowing the difference between what's right and what's almost right, right? Knowing the difference between what's right and what's almost right. That, that is having that sword, the, spirit of, the sword of the spirit, cutting, dividing falsehoods from truth. Uh, that is crucial 
for us in the, as the life of, in the life of the believer. So uh, as we read these, vo- these verses and we pinpoint these errors in the crowds, uh, it's important for us to, to use discernment to clearly see where these people stand. You know, if we, if we just do a surface level reading and, and just kind of pull these things out, we can come to all kind of conclusions. But I think if we're reading this passage for what it is, we're able to see uh, who these people really are, lacking in a true understanding of who Christ was who was right there in front of them. <clears throat> now, these were the responses of the crowd, and, and I kind of think about us today, you know, when we hear or share Jesus with people. Uh, There's a lot of people in different circles who will acknowledge that Jesus actually walked the earth. Uh, They'll say stuff like, yeah, he was a good teacher. Uh, He was a prophet, as the um, Muslims will say, or they'll just say, you know, he was just another man. Uh, People will take these different positions on who Christ was, but it's a a poor understanding of, of who Jesus said he was. If once again, if Jesus said he was, or if we claim Jesus is a prophet, but we take him at his word, his, if he comes from God, he's saying he is God, right? If he was only a man, but he's saying he's God, he's crazy, right? He's, he's, he's insane. He's got something wrong with his head. If he's only a man and he just walked the earth, but none of his miracles or anything, any of these things are true, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's another example of him being crazy. So I think it's important for us to understand that that we, we, truly need to under, we truly need to see who Jesus is and understand through the word uh, what he has told us about himself. He wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just a prophet. He was truly God, right? He tells us that he was truly God, and that's what he was. Now, the error that we fall into when we come to this is um, we try to soften, you know, when we describe who Jesus is, that he died for sins, um, that, that, he, that he was only this nice guy that, the Old Testament God was this harsh God, and the New Testament God is this compassionate God. But if we just go back one chapter, we see some, some harsh words from Jesus. In John chapter 6, he, he has these multitudes following him, and then he just he calls them out for their sins. And most of them leave. A lot of them just up and leave. And then he turns to his 12 disciples, and he's like, well, what about y'all? You know, are y'all leaving too? And they tell him, no, you have the words to eternal life. You know, where, where else are we going to go? Uh, so it, it's, it's, really, it's really important for us to, to see Jesus for who he truly is and see how he really, he, he's, that, he's that dividing line. He shows us uh, through his word and through his actions that he's, he's the separate, I mean, he separates. He separates truth from falsehood. So let's look at verses 45 through 52 next. And let me go ahead and reread those. It says this, the officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring? Uh, why did you not bring him? Excuse me. The officers answered, "No one ever spoke like this man." The Pharisees answered them, "Have you also been deceived? Have any of you have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed." Nicodemus, who had gone before him, who had who had gone to him before, uh, hearing and learning, excuse me, had gone before him and who was one of them, said to them. Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Now, as we look at these verses, I want to touch on a couple of things, kind of paint a, a quick picture for uh, who these officers, these chief priests, and these Pharisees were. 
Uh, I know when I first read and, and you, you see officers, you kind of think of peace officers, right? You think of cops or, or things like that. But all these officers were, it's kind of like offices of the church now. These were, the office that these men held was servant. They just served the church, uh, the temple, excuse me. So they weren't necessarily soldiers. They weren't cops. They were there to enforce the Jewish civil law, whatever the high priest or the chief priest or the Pharisees asked of them. They were the hands and feet that achieved those, those tasks for them. Now, the chief priest is, a, is kind of a, really an oxymoron of a phrase. Originally, the chief priests were a singular role of the high priest. That was Aaron, originally. Uh, the perversion that came about during this, um, during this time was that they began to set up multiple high priests. And so this was this group known as the chief priest. Uh, it is believed that they were actually the, Sa- the Sadducees. So you had the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and they made up uh, the, the Sanhedrin. And so the third group, as we all know, are the Pharisees. This is the most common group that gets a lot of the flack when it comes to uh, hypocrisy and uh, legalism and things like that. They were the predominant religious leaders of their day. Now, these are the three groups that would be considered uh, cream of the crop when it comes to religious law and understanding Jewish culture and, and um, Jewish thought. Right. If you had a question concerning anything, these would be the people that you would go to concerning the Hebrew Bible. Uh, so what kind of division do we see here amongst this group? Well, we see it right away in verse uh, 45 and 46. They ask, why did you not bring him? Right? They were sent out. In verse 32, we're told that the, the chief priest sent these men to arrest Jesus, and then they come back a couple days later without him. They come back empty-handed. But their, their response is what I want to focus uh, a good amount of our time on. They say, no one ever spoke like this man. No one ever spoke like this man. Now, a better way to understand what is being said here is, is kind of taking what was the original thought in, the, in, the, in Greek, in the original language, and what's this, it would be something like this. Mankind has never spoken like this, right? When it talks about no, no one ever spoke like this man, what they're getting across is we have no record in human history, essentially. I'm kind of, you know, uh, being a little hyperbolic but essentially there was there's no man in human history that's ever spoken like this man we've never run across anybody like him this this reminds me of uh the end of uh, jesus sermon on the mount in matthew in matthew chapter 7 verses 28 and 29 when the crowds marveled at jesus it says this and when jesus finished these sayings the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes now, the scribes were the, you know, they were the cream of the crop, once again, as it came to knowing the scriptures. They had man-given authority to teach from the scriptures, but Jesus spoke with authority. The, the word here is, in the Greek is a exousia, um, and it, we talked about it when we went through the Gospel of Mark, if any of y'all remember that. This is a, a sovereign rule, like the, the, the thought is kind of like a king issuing a decree. This is the, this is the type of language that Jesus is speaking with. If we were to use modern uh, terms and a modern illustration, it would kind of be like someone talking about Steve Jobs being the authority when it comes to Apple products or Bill Gates to PCs, right? They're the ones that you go to because they were the inventor of that thing. They're the, uh, the authority on that topic. That's the type of language that's being used uh, when referring to Jesus and the authority that he spoke with. No one ever spoke like him because no one before him had the word originate with them. 
So coming back to our passage as far as where the, where the minds of these officers were hearing the words of Christ, it, it's, it, uh, it, it kind of it, it amazes me, right, that they, they recognize that no one had ever spoke like Jesus before. You know, these are men who are learned, right? They knew the scriptures. They were in the temple. So they, they were around everything that uh, ceremonially represented the law. And as these men are, are sent out, they have this arrest warrant is what they're given. And they're going to enforce this. This man, Jesus, who's claiming he's God, you know, here goes another one because there there's always false prophets going around. They go out. They hear him speak. And instead of seizing him, they're seized by the words that he's speaking. Right. It, it, it's 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 amazing when you think about it. These guys are just like this is just another day in paradise. Right. And they're going to work and it, their their minds are being blown by the things that Jesus is saying. Everything they knew, everything they thought they knew, everything that they were taught, everything they believed was brought into question. Right. Everything was rattled to its core. No one, no man in history has ever spoken like this. And it wasn't just one, right? It wasn't just one guy that felt this way. It was a, it was a group, right? We're told that officers were sent to arrest Jesus. I mean, they didn't, it wasn't just a single guy. There was a group of these men who were going, and they were deeply impacted by the words of our Savior. <clears throat> so when I think about that, I kind of, man, it, it really, you know, just, I mean, any of us who, who uh, are employed by someone else, you know, if you're sent to go do a job and you don't do it, uh, you know, you're usually in for something whenever you get back to the office and you have to explain why. But I find it very, um, when I think about these guys in light of the crowds that we spoke of already, when I see these guys, I'm, I'm actually hopeful as far as their hearts, you know, where they were. I, we're not told explicitly where they ended up, uh, but it, it, for me, it, it appears that there was some true conviction that came, uh, came about to them. And the reason I, I, I believe that is because as they go forth and they, they are challenged with this task to do or charged with this task to do, uh, they didn't just hear the words and, and not arrest them and then be scared and, and run, right? These men went back. They faced their fears, uh, even if it meant them losing their jobs. I mean, potentially, they're, they're going back and they're like, we hate this guy, Jesus. You need to arrest him. And they're like, we ain't never heard anybody speak like him before. I, I, I can't do it. I, I see him. I, I see what he was charged with, and I go to him, and I, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't add up. It doesn't add up. Um, yeah, it just, it just it really, it really struck a, a chord with me when I think about conviction, right? To me, that's conviction. I, it's easy for us to say, man, I was convicted by this sermon I heard, or I was listening to this song, or I heard you say something or do something, and, and I was convicted, but then, you know, the, the moment that that shame wears off, I'm right back at doing what I was doing before. That's not conviction. Right? That's just shame for what, what you were doing. What is conviction? It's going back, facing, facing your fears, being like, hey, uh, this is true. I believe it. And I'm, I'm living in light of it. I'm going back to face, you know, face, uh, face what, I've, what I've done. I mean, but it, for us, like I said, it's, it's easy to just write something off as conviction because it, it made me feel a certain way and then that once that feeling's gone, I'm right back to doing what I was doing. That's not conviction. That's not discernment. Uh, that's not us dividing truth from falsehood. That's us just going through the motions and letting the, letting the chips fall where they may. But this was the response of the officers. Uh, this is what God stirred. I believe he stirred within the hearts of these guys. Uh, but what else did God do with 
the other people in this story with the chief priests and the Pharisees, we see their response in verses 47 through 49. Let me reread those verses. It says this, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. They're, they're damned, right? They're, they're, they're headed for hell. They're cursed is what they're saying here. So what, he, what the response is from the, from the uh, chief priests and the Pharisees to these officers is y'all are deceived, y'all are wrong, y'all are, y'all are heretics, y'all are, y'all are headed down the wrong, y'all are headed for hell is, is what y'all are doing. Now, the, the idea when they talk about the crowds, <clears throat> there was a strong sentiment in this time uh, that caused a lot of division between the, what we would call the upper class, which would be the religious leaders of the day and the, the, the rich folks, and then the common folks, those who held common jobs, farmers, shepherds, those type of things. There was a strong distinction between the two, and the upper class didn't associate <clears throat> excuse me, with the lower class. <clears throat> so for the, the Pharisees to lump these officers in with that group, it was a, it was a derogatory statement, right? He's kind of telling them, you know, kind of like we would say modern day, which I'm, this, I'm, I'm on the other side of the tracks too, but it's kind of that thought like, oh, those people are on the other side of the tracks. Those people are from the hood, right? That, that's the kind of people, those people think like that, right? We don't think this way. That's the way that they think. Uh, but this, this, was their, this was their understanding. They had, they had nothing else. Uh, these, these religious leaders that we see, they, they hated Jesus, but they didn't hate him for the right reasons, which there isn't any. They hated him because he was tearing down everything they worked for. Right, they have been building themselves up, trying to show people how great they were, and Jesus is coming in, shining light on this house of cars that these men have built, and was destroying it right in front of their eyes. Right, and they hated that. Right, he didn't, he wasn't granted permission for them to be their savior. Right, is essentially what they were saying. They're like, no, no, this isn't the guy. We're, we're the group. Y'all come to us. And these officers, obviously, they they saw the light, right? They were they were their minds were changed, and they're like, "Oh, well, y'all are just like these other people, trying to trying to degrade them." Instead of um, building them up, they were tearing them down. <clears throat> but even even one of their own, right? The, the 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 officers described are described this way as, you know, this is he spoke like no other man. And then one of their own, Nicodemus, even tries to offer some rebuke. In verses fifty through fifty-two, it says this: Nicodemus, who had gone to him. Before, talking about Jesus, uh, who was one of them, one of the Pharisees, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Now, what Nicodemus was trying to point out here is one of many places. uh, The law states in Deuteronomy 19.15 that only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established, right? We see that reiterated in the New Testament as well, but there needs to be multiple witnesses to uh, convict someone of a crime. So Nicodemus is presenting scripture to them. God's word says this. This is what God has said concerning what y'all are trying to do. Well, the biblical response would be to present scripture, to let scripture interpret scripture. Are we on the same page here? Uh, But that's not what was done. What was done, instead of offering scripture, they offered slander, right? They, they offered uh, just rebukes and anger, right? This is, this is what they did, telling them that they, were, uh, that they were from Galilee. Now, when it speaks of Galilee, Galilee was a region just north of Samaria. And I, if, if y'all have been here for any time as we preach through um, John, you know that Samaria 
uh, was a place where the Assyrians and the, the Hebrews mixed. They blended, so they were considered half-breeds. They were apostates. They kind of, um, they didn't follow all the, the Hebrew writings that they had at that time. So they were, a, they were thought of as a detestable people among the Hebrews. And so the Gal- Galileans were just north of them. So they didn't quite view them in the same light, but they kind of lumped them all in into the same picture. Um, so, you know, that was kind of the, the, the shot that they took at them is like, oh, y'all are, you know, like, are you from there too? Are you that same kind of, you know, rotten person that they are? But, um, you know, obviously he had no, he had no backing scripturally upon which he stood, uh, these Pharisees, so they had to present this, uh, their information that way. So for these Pharisees, instead of being slow to speak and slow to anger, uh, they were quick to speak and, and quick to anger, and they showed their ignorance of the scriptures. Now, why I say that is because their defense was they said, search and see that no prophet came from Galilee. Now, upon doing a little research, because I didn't know, uh, there was actually five prophets that came from Galilee. And, uh, you know, we may not be familiar with all of them, but I'll just name the five of them. We have Jonah, Nahum, Hosea, Elijah, and Elisha. Right. It's I mean, there was some of them names are, are pretty, pretty common for us. Right. I mean, if you spend any time in in Sunday school as a kid, you've probably heard of most of them, if not all of them. But that was their response. Right. You're from Galilee. Search the scriptures. You'll see that nothing good ever came from there. This was their this was their position. Um, and so it kind of made me think about modern day. Right. Where does this cut me? Where does this kind of fit in the realm of of where we find ourselves today? Uh, with the position that these Pharisees are taking, because they're, they're idols. The things that they have built up in themselves are being crushed right before their eyes, and the officers who were their servants are, are not listening to them. And one of their own is telling them, hey, y'all aren't going about this the wrong way, and they're just, they're fighting, right? They're, they're fighting because all the falsehoods that, that their life has been built upon. Uh, so these, as these idols get crushed and, and taken from them, they got angry. And that, that's typically the response of, of, of us today, right? You know, when, when I have something that I enjoy and whatever it is and I find hope in, if it gets taken from me, I get really upset, right? If, if I'm hungry and I don't, you know, I, lunch isn't for another hour or two and, you know, I get irritable or if I have a body ache or, or whatever the case may be, you know, get laid off from my job or whatever, kids aren't acting right, you know, I just want peace and quiet, Whatever that is, whatever I've idolized, if that's been taken from me, I want my peace. I want my comfort. I want my whatever the blank fill in the blank is. If when that's taken from me, my response is typically anger. I mean, that, that's that's where we are. Uh, but the when it comes to temptations and sins, once these things are pointed out, as uh, Nicodemus did, as the officers did in the life of the believer, the, the blessing that we have, the good news that we have is when these idols are exposed for what they truly are, what the Holy Spirit does for us is he takes that anger that we feel and he points it towards that idol, right? It goes from us desiring that thing to light being shined on and it being seen for what it truly is. And then no longer are we angry at God for taking it away from us. We begin to hate that thing that we once idolized, right? That is a, a blessing from God. He's freed us. From, from sin, right? This, this temptation from sin. There's no sin that's uncommon to man. He makes a way out for us. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, but that's, that's what the Spirit of God does for us. That's what, that's what the Christian 
should live like. He should have this conviction that, that builds and builds that leads to uh, a persistence in holiness, right? We're, we're striving to be more Christ-like. As I see these areas in my life that do not honor Christ, I cut them off, right? He shines light on them. I see them for what they are. I begin to hate them, and I, I desire to remove them from my life. Praise God is right. Now, the Pharisees didn't want to do this. And as Jesus tells us in, in uh, Matthew, in, during the Sermon on the Mount, these men received their reward in full, right? They, they prayed from the street corners. They sought to be seen by man. They gave large amounts in the temple, and they received their reward in full. Their, their reward was their best life now. That's what their reward was. It, it, it's... it's it's a, it's a terrible thing to think about, but when I think about the passage that I read as we opened about, Lord, Lord, did we not do these things in your name and, and all this and that, um, it, the, the comfort in that is knowing that I am not saved by my works. Right? I'm not saved by the things that I do for God. I've been saved by grace through faith in the one who saved me. Right? Jesus Christ did that for us. That, that's, that's where my hope is found. There, there's, there's, there's hope in that. If if I start thinking like those who put their hope in the mighty works and the, and the miracles that I'm performing in and of myself, I'm showing myself to have an idol of those things. That, that's, that's, that's a blessing for me to see that in Scripture that when I start thinking that way, I'm thinking wrongly. I'm not discerning the things of God's word. I need to repent. I need to turn from those things. Now, as we close, I, I want to challenge us with a couple of things um, as we think about where these Pharisees were, where the crowds were, um, having discernment, right, this understanding of, of dividing truth from falsehood, knowing right from almost right, having that, that desire in our lives, which is another way of saying living biblically. Um, I wanted to point out two things that I think that, that we struggle with today as far as discerning the will of God for our lives, for understanding uh, truth and falsehood. I want to I talk about two things as we close. So one of them, which we as a church kind of uh, went through this recently, is, is church discipline. I want to I mention that as, as one of the things that is, is required of us. I, I think church discipline is a, a thing that, that gets overlooked oftentimes. If you were to go to the average church today, uh, you won't see it. Uh, what you see is stuff swept under the rug. You don't see sin addressed, um, and, and you just kind of keep going and, and, and press on. But the thing that I'll say brought me to this church, that has brought others to this church, is, is, was just that, right? There was a sin issue. You reached out to someone. That sin is exposed. It's crushed, and then you desire to be discipled, right? You, you want that for yourself. Those who are God's people, um, they see that, they, they are presented with it in whatever form or fashion because it, it plays itself out in many different ways. They see that and they, they cling to it. it. It crushes them and they cling to it because they know that it comes from God. I mean, it's, it's, it's that simple. And, and it's, not, it's not always out in the open. It, the, it should be going on all the time. Anytime any sin is committed against a brother in Christ or sister in Christ, Right, we need to know what sin is, not just a mistake, not just, oh, my feelings are hurt because you said this or that. Is it sin, right? If a sin has been committed against a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ, you are to go to them privately and, and address it. 
Most of the times it works itself out. If God's people are coming together, doing life together, you present, hey, this, this is what you did to me. Can we, can, we, you know, can we work through this together? Usually the response is, you know, when you present something with humility, humility is granted by God, by his grace. Uh, and, and it works out that way. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you need to take a brother or sister also and kind of present it that way. Sometimes it takes coming before the church. Uh, sometimes it takes removing them from the church for the sake of their soul that Satan destroys their flesh and shows them their faults that they come back. There, there's many a steps to that. Uh, but I think it's important for us to recognize that it is it's sinful for us not to address these things as a body. Right. Uh, Paul talks about it this way. He says, purge the evil from among you. You know, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Let's just remove that leaven. Let's just do it. I mean, if, if we're being honest with each other, if we're presenting ourselves in humility, it shouldn't take much for us to do it. It's scary the first time you do it. Uh, it's not easy, um, but it's because you're you're being. Uh, you're, you're exposing yourself to someone. You're being intimate with them and, and allowing them to see you for who you are. Uh, but God is God is gracious. You know, He tells us that He opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. So that's the first thing that I wanted to mention. That I think as a church we we lack in that. Uh, I think we can definitely grow in that. And it doesn't have to be weird. It, it should just be the one-on-one interactions. Secondly, is contentment. I think contentment is another thing that we have a poor understanding of what contentment is. Scripture tells us in 1 Timothy 6 that godliness with contentment is great gain. You know, if we, are, if we understand what we have been saved from, knowing what we have been saved to should bring us much peace and contentment. Right? If we understand where we were and where God has brought us, that's, 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 that's a wonderful gift. That's the gospel, right? Well, understanding this is where I was, this is what Christ did for me, and this is what I get to do now in light of what he's done for me. That, that's where we find contentment. There's, there's no other way. We can't self-motivate. It's not about that. It's no, the spirit of God is motivating me to do what he's called me to do. Uh, but I think contentment is the other thing. And I want to kind of just mention that, that it's, it's the fact that, that Christ, is, Christ is enough, right? He is enough for us. Uh, so those are the two little things that I wanted to mention as we close as far as challenging us with today and um, my hope is that we spend the rest of our day meditating upon these things, uh, spending time in God's word and seeking to discern the things that we can do to please him in our life. So let us pray.